O Holy Spirit, the inspirer of Scripture, the great illuminator of our minds and of our hearts, come and open up the Word of God that we may fully understand the glory of Jesus Christ. For we know that you have come to glorify not yourself, but Jesus. So bless us now in in Christ's holy name. Amen. We are now near the end of chapter 8 of John. I will read the verses tonight of the section that I'm going to be dealing with, verses 48 through 59 of John 8. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, the prophets also, and you say, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste of death. Surely you're not greater than our father Abraham, who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. The Jews therefore said to him, You're not yet fifty years old, and how have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now last week we saw in Jesus' continual confrontation with the scribes and the Pharisees and with other Jews, we saw that he... There in verse 30 of John 8, that it says that some of those Jews in whom he was having dialogue believed in him. But we saw in the last week's whole section, verses 31 and following, that believing in Jesus does not necessarily mean you have been saved in that that belief. You got to have a belief, Jesus says, that abides in my word. So it is possible to have a certain kind of belief, but not a saving belief. Remember, when Nicodemus, who was a member of the Sanhedrin, came to Jesus there in John 3 by night, and remember, Nicodemus says, we know that you must be a true prophet of God because no one could do the things that you do unless he's a prophet. And yet Jesus will say, well, Nicodemus, you got to be born again if you're going to see the kingdom of God. 
Now, I would believe we'd look, when I was dealing with John 3, you recall that I believe that Nicodemus surely later on became a true believer in Jesus because he's the one that paid out an enormous sum when he and Joseph of Arimathea went and got uh, spices to anoint Jesus' body. So <clears throat> these people whom Jesus was talking about, these people who had some kind of belief in Jesus, but it wasn't a saving belief because what is he going to say to them? You're trying to kill me. And he said, well, our father is Abraham. No, no, his, your father's not Abraham. Because if, if your father was Abraham, Abraham would not have been doing and seeking to do what you're trying to do to me. No, Jesus never admits his words. He says, your father is the devil. And your father, the devil, was a murderer and a liar from the beginning. Now, those may seem harsh, very harsh words, but, you know, Jesus is God in the flesh, and Jesus could always read the hearts and the minds of men. He knew what was in the hearts of these Jews. He knew they were not going to believe in him. And in fact, their difficulty with him, he says, there is a reason why you don't believe in me. Remember in verse uh, 45, he says, you don't believe in me in a saving sense because you're not of God. And the one who is of God hears my words. And the fact that you don't hear my words, that you don't receive my words, is proof you're not of God. So that's where we left off. And we got to understand that hearing to the saving of our soul must be granted to us by the Father. Remember again in John 6, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. But then I will raise him up. You've got to, if we're going to understand like Peter who confessed that Jesus was the Christ, Jesus says, God, uh, human blood, uh, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you my Father in heaven. We have to have truth revealed to us, biblical truth. And unless we have biblical truth revealed to us, we will never understand. So it takes the Holy Spirit to give us spiritual ears. It takes the Holy Spirit to cause us to be born again, like Jesus told Nicodemus, it's gotta have to, have to, have to happen. And it's the Holy Spirit who changes our hearts and gives us the ability to spiritually hear truth. Now, we, we read, if you look at verse 48 in our text, we see that Jesus says, the Jew, well, the Jews answered him and said to him, do we not rightly say you are a Samaritan and have a, a demon now, these Jews are, are becoming hostile towards Jesus because they are insisting that their father is Abraham and Jesus is insisting, no, Abraham is not your father. Now, their hostility is growing more and they're just trying to get at Jesus. And one way they were trying to get at Jesus is saying, well, you're a Samaritan. Now, you got to remember that 
the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans was not good at all. It had been going, it was bad for centuries. The Jews saw the Samaritans as half-breeds, which in one sense, racially, they were. They were the leftover of the northern kingdom. When the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom, carried away the ten tribes of Israel, the northern kingdom, into captivity, those that were left would intermarry with the pagans, and so they were half-breeds. They weren't full-fledged Jews, and the Jews disdained them. I mean, that was the mentality the woman at the well in John 4 says, I'm surprised you're even talking to me, a woman, much less a Samaritan woman. So to get at Jesus, to give him an insult, it says, you're a Samaritan. And you do have a demon because you've lost your mind. And uh, of course, Jesus says, um, I haven't lost my mind. I don't have a demon. And if you look there, what Jesus, how he responds to him, verse 49, I do not have a demon. I honor my father. And you, you dishonor me. I don't come to seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Now he's referencing uh, the father. Now this idea, when they kept insisting you have a have a demon, if we understand in the context, they they simply cannot accept the fact of who Jesus is saying who he is. He keeps saying, "I'm from the Father; the Father sent me." They just cannot they cannot grasp that. It is going way over their head. They don't have spiritual ears to hear. Their heart is darkened. They have no capacity to understand what Jesus is saying. In fact, if you see there, remember, um, back in verse 45 of John 8, but because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. I speak the truth, but you still don't believe me. Now, Paul said, when Paul met later on in the book of Acts, when Paul was before King Agrippa and Festus, and he was uh, arrested by the Romans, basically that essentially saved his life because the Jews were all ready to kill him. And the Romans arrested him, and it will end up saving his life for a time being because there were Jews who swore they would never eat and drink until they'd kill Paul. You know, I've always been a little humorous. I wonder if they kept that oath because they never got to Paul. Well, Paul, before Festus, <clears throat> says, as he was giving his defense of becoming a Christian uh, after being a great persecutor of the church, Festus says, he says, your much learning, Paul, has made you mad. And, and what was, what was uh, what they consider him mad about? Because there in, in Acts 26, 25, he had been preaching that Jesus was raised from the dead. And they said, you've lost your mind. It's what you have. So essentially, this is what the Jews were saying. Jesus, you've got to have a demon. 
Because one of the things in demon possession is people are not in their right mind. If you look at demon possession in the New Testament. So that's, that's why they thought. You, you cannot be who you claim to be. Well, it's only going to get worse here. We're going to see from their perspective. He, Jesus says, if you dishonor the son, then you're dishonoring the father. He says, I didn't come into this world to glorify myself. I came in this world to do one thing, to keep my, the father's words. And I have kept the father's words. And Jesus didn't need to seek his own glory because there is one who verified who he was and it's the father who gave testimony to who the son was or is and the father will judge. In other words, uh, we do know the scripture says, Jesus says the father has committed all judgment unto the son, but there when it says the father will judge, he will discriminate with men, he will reveal what's in the hearts of men and the darkness of their hearts. Now, if you look at verse 51 here of our text, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Now, last week I made a comment that this term truly, truly in the Greek is literally Amen, amen. It's a double amen. Meaning, you better pay close attention to what I'm about to say. He said to Nicodemus, truly, truly, you must be born again. So this idea of truly, truly is something that Jesus says uh, from time to time to stress the importance of what he's about to uh, preach to them. So what he says here, he says, the one who keeps my word shall never see death. Now you recall in in verse uh, 31 of John 8, if you look back at John 8, 31, remember those those Jews that believed on him in some sense, he says, if you abide in my word, That's present tense, meaning continual action. If you continually abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. So what does it mean to to be abiding in Jesus' words? Well, for one thing, it means to accept everything that Jesus says about himself or about his father at face value by faith. That's one thing that it means. It also means to obey. To abide in Jesus' words means you abide. Now, we're going to see later in John uh, 13 or John 15, he says, Jesus will say to the disciples, if you love me, keep my commandments. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me and shall be loved of my father. And it means to stand guard. If we abide in Jesus' words, we stand guard over his words. In other words, we, we accept everything that he says. So, so here, it's really confusing to these Jews. Because what did Jesus mean? The one who abides in my word will never see death. So we think about that. Well, 
He can't mean physical death because as the scripture says, we are all dust and we will return to dust and we are all destined to die. So he's not talking about a physical death here. So if he's not talking about a physical death, he has to be talking about a spiritual death. And what this spiritual death would entail is this. It would be being um, separated from the love of God and being under the crushing weight of God's wrath and condemnation. And what Jesus says, he says, there's a day coming, as Paul brings out in 1 Corinthians 15, there is a day coming when death will be swallowed up in victory. And there will be a day coming when you and I will never experience eternal death. And uh, which, by the way, and we'll take a look here in a second, that's what the book of Revelation refers to as the second death. Now, I want you to turn with me over to Revelation chapter 20. And a couple of verses there in, in John, I mean, Revelation 20. The first is verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, we, when we looked at John 5, you ought to recall that <clears throat> there are those who hear and, with spiritual ears, and there are those who will be raised from their tombs. So in one sense, there are two resurrections taught in the scripture. One, a spiritual resurrection, and another is a physical resurrection. Now notice what John the Apostle says here. The one who experienced the first resurrection, that means who have been saved by grace, who are believers in Jesus, whose hearts have been changed, who have been raised up. Remember, Paul says in, in, in Ephesians and in Colossians that we have been raised up with Christ in the heavenly places. And this is before the second coming, so it's a spiritual resurrection. Now, those who have this, the first resurrection, they will never experience the second death. So we're, we're giving more clarity what this second death is. Look at Revelation 20 and look at verses 14 and 15. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So it's helpful to understand that John was the one who wrote the gospel account. He is the one who wrote the book of Revelation as well. And so 
back in our text in John 8, what we see here, Jesus says, if you abide in my words, meaning if you're truly a disciple of mine, you will never taste eternal death. You will not be in the lake of fire. Your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life and you'll go into everlasting glory and those who are not going into everlasting glory will be going into everlasting death in the lake of fire. Now, when Jesus said this, notice what the Jews said in verse 52 of John 8. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. You have really lost your mind. And this idea about death, you see, they could never get over. They were always tied in to an interpretation, an understanding, and they could never, of the scriptures, they couldn't have a spiritual understanding. Just like when Jesus says, you got to eat my flesh and you got to drink my blood in John 6, they thought he was talking about cannibalism. And, And Jesus was very clear what he meant by that. It means believing in me. The, te- the context of John 6 is very clear. That's what Jesus meant. But they're saying, if we, you're, you're telling me, Jesus, you're telling us that we will never see death. That's crazy. Because notice what they said. Abraham died. The prophets died. Verse 52. And yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. So their natural response next was this. Now, surely, surely you're not trying to make yourself greater than Abraham. You got to understand Abraham was the father of faith. He was, he was revered among the Jews. And he wasn't the father of the Jewish nation. And Jesus saying, you will never taste death if you believe me. You're trying to glorify yourself, Jesus, and you're out of your mind because we know Abraham died and we know the prophets died. And then they asked the question, Who do you make yourself out to be? Well, Jesus in verse 54, look how he responds. He says, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me whom you say he is our God. Jesus has kept reiterating multiple times he came to do the Father's will. He came to glorify the Father, not himself. Now, in this regard, he says the Father is the one 
who will glorify the Son. You remember at Jesus' baptism with John the Baptist? Where that the, the Holy Spirit came down as a dove upon Jesus' uh, head and God spoke from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It was the Father's verbal voice confirming that the Son, Jesus, is his eternally begotten Son. And then we know from Matthew 17, verse 5, when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to the Mount of Transfiguration, and he was transfigured, and he, and he light, he shone as bright as the sun. And it says there in Matthew 17, 5, that God the Father spoke out of heaven, saying again, this is my beloved son, listen to him. The Father says, this is my beloved son, you better listen to him. So the Jews, by their refusal to listen to Jesus, were only proving that they were not of God, that they didn't have God as their father, but that they had the devil as their father. So now in this regard, in verse 55 of our text, Jesus says, you, you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do, know, I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I do keep his word. In other words, unlike you. Jesus never, like I said earlier, Jesus never minced words with these, these, these Jews. He knew their heart. So someone might say, isn't that awfully harsh of Jesus to say to them, if I were to deny who I am, I would be a liar like you? That's pretty harsh. Before we're ever tempted to think Jesus is harsh, remember, Jesus is God in the flesh. And whatever Jesus discerns about men is true. And he's doing it to point out the darkness of men's hearts and the necessity of repenting of their sins and coming to faith in him. In, in him. Well, we're going to see, Jesus says, I, I do know God. I do keep his word. Now remember, again, the one who keeps the words of Jesus is the one who is a real disciple as opposed to a false disciple. Remember, disciple simply means a follower. And there were those who followed Jesus for a time, but then left him because they found his teaching to be too hard to accept. Now remember, uh, in 1 Peter 2, too, that's a, there's a great passage that says, as newborn babes 
desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. One of the proofs that you and I are truly saved is that you have a thirst for the word of God. A thirst for the word of God. Now, I've told you my testimony in the past. I didn't grow up in the church as such. I was so ignorant of the Bible, I didn't know what Matthew 4, 4 meant. I had no idea what that meant. But when God saved me by his grace out in the University of Utah, you know what? The, I had a desire that just came to want to know the Bible. Now, where did that come from? Well, it came from the fact that no one can be saved unless the Holy Spirit has entered their heart. And if the, the proof that the Holy Spirit has entered a person's heart is the fact that they have a desire to study the Word of God. I've had two instances where people said, I've been a, I'm, I'm a Christian. I said, well, well, let's have a, a Bible study. Well, they didn't want to have a Bible study. Ding, 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 a red flag went off. In my head, you don't want to study the Bible? Now, 1 Peter says, if you've been like a newborn babe, if you've been born again, like Jesus said to Nicodemus, you're automatically, automatically going to desire the word of God, just like you don't have to teach a baby, a newborn baby to desire the mother's milk. It's natural. It is natural. So now in verse 56, Jesus, is, it's, he's laying on really heavy now to these Jews. Because he says, look what he says in verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Now we're going to see this just went right over their, their heads. What are you talking about? You're not even, as they say, you're not even 50 years old. How can you say that Abraham, who lived a thousand years or so before us, how can you say that he rejoiced to see your day? And again, they're asking him, who are you saying that you really are, Jesus? Now, let's, I mean, it is something we need to ask ourselves. How is it that Abraham rejoiced to see Jesus' day? Well, I want us to turn to several passages, one in the New Testament, and then I want to have us turn to several passages in the Old Testament to demonstrate exactly how Abraham rejoiced to see Jesus' day. So the first place I want us to look at is turn over to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, 
foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Look what it says. Preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations shall be blessed in you. One time I was at a Christmas party at Georgia Tech. Some some of the people were coming to Chalcedon who were Georgia Tech students and they had a Christmas party and they invited some of us there. We got talking and some of these people, uh, Christians, were talking about the gospel and it didn't exist in the uh, Old Testament. And I go, really? What about Galatians 3.8? How was the gospel said to have preached It was preached to Abraham. Now notice how, what the scripture says, how it was preached. That phrase, all the nations shall be blessed in you. Now that is the gospel. So I want you to turn with me to Genesis 12. And and look at verse 3. God has called Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldees. And he says, God says to Abram in verse 3 of Genesis 12, And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, that is in Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay. Turn over to Genesis 18, verse 18. In the birth of Isaac, the promised child. In Genesis 18, 18, since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now turn over to Genesis 22. Look at verses 17 and 18. The context here, remember, is Isaac was the promised child that Sarah would give birth at age 90, well beyond childbearing years, even in biblical times. And Abraham was said to be 100. And I like what Roman says. He considered himself as good as dead. (laughs) That's what the scripture says. No, it's not going to be Hagar's son, it's, no, there, your wife, Sarah, who's been barren all her life, will have a child, Isaac. And then, so Isaac is the promised seed. Now, the promise, God says, I'm going to make all the families of the earth blessed in you. And then we have Isaac born. And then what does God do? I want you to sacrifice the promised child. So Genesis 22 is where he goes up ready to plunge that knife into Isaac in obedience to God. 
And God says, stop, no, I got a sacrifice. And he says, God says, now I know that you uh, obey me. Now notice what verses 17 and 18 of Genesis 22 says. And in your seed, talking about Abraham, and in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now, let's turn back one moment to Genesis 15. Probably should have mentioned Genesis 15 before Genesis 22. But take a look at Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6. After these things, the word, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord, what wilt thou give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Since thou hast given me no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who shall come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he, meaning Abraham, believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Now remember, Galatians 3.8 says the gospel was preached to Abraham beforehand. Here's how Abraham saw Jesus' day. He believed the promises of God. He believed that God would indeed, through him, raise up a seed that would become as numerous as the stars, as numerous as the sand of the seashore, and through that seed, all the earth's families would be blessed. Now we know later on from Galatians 3, guess who that seed is? Galatians 3.16 says that seed is Christ. So when Abraham believed that promise by faith, that is the gospel. That is the gospel in Jesus Christ. So Abraham did rejoice in seeing Jesus' day because he believed the promises. Now, in this regard, turn back to John 8. Here we have another truly, truly. I mean, you better pay close attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, to get the, the thrust of that, you've got to turn back to Exodus 3.14.
When Moses sees a bush burning, but it's not being consumed. And God has manifested himself in this burning bush. And we're told in Exodus 3, verse 14. Well, back up to verse 13. God's revealing to Moses, you're going to redeem my people out of Egypt. Then verse 13, then Moses said to God, behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel and I shall say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent you. Now that that phrase, I am that I am, meaning God is saying, I am my own explanation of myself. There is no other interpretation of myself outside of, of who I am. I am my own explanation. I am. I'm eternal. Now, turn over to Revelation 1.8. And we see this, what Jesus says. As he's speaking to a message to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So, you know the name Yahweh is what was, is what was God's name revealed to Moses. The Jews... Realize in order to keep from blaspheming, they would never say Yahweh lest they be blaspheming God. So it was the sacred name of God. And guess what Jesus is doing? Because he said, you're not even 50 years old. Who are you? I am is who I am. Now guess what? This is one time where they got it. (laughs) Because what was their immediate response? The moment Jesus said that, look what our text says in verse 59. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Oh, they understood what he meant. And to show you why they understood that, as we come to an end here, turn over to Leviticus chapter 24 and look at verse 16. So the, Jew, the Jews understood this passage. Moreover, the one who blasphemes the name of the Lord 
shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him, the alien as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name shall be put to death. The reason they picked up stones, all of them to stone him was, we're obeying Moses because you just blasphemed God. You, you're not even 50 years old and you're claiming that Abraham rejoiced to see your day and you have the audacity to say you are Yahweh? How dare you? And they went to get stones to execute him. But the reason they failed was because it wasn't his hour, now was it? Not yet, not yet. So how, what we see here is a true believer of Jesus is one who believes everything that Jesus says about himself. And when Jesus says, I am God, you believe it. When Jesus says, I have come to bear the sins of many, to atone for their death, you believe it. You don't doubt it. And the true believer believes, continues in Jesus' words. So since we're not walking with Jesus, the true believer believes everything in this book. Everything. And we don't question it. The genuine Christian does not question the authority of the word of God. They simply accept it as God's inspired word and whatever Jesus says, that, that has to be the way. So that later on we're going to see in John 10, Jesus says, everyone who does not enter by the door to the sheepfold, but tries to climb up some other way is both a thief and a robber. I am the door. He who enters by me shall be saved. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Give us those spiritual ears to hear that proves that we truly are of the Lord Jesus. And we thank you in his glorious name. Amen.